Quack, 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 12 podcast is back on quack. That is right, everybody. We've got another edition of the Pac-12 roster review with our dear friend Hithliday of Addicted to Quack. Hithliday, how are you doing, buddy? I'm well. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm doing great because we got, well, we got the, the one and only true frenemy of the quack 12 podcast that is his official title we've nailed it down uh you know, you know too close to be a true enemy but uh too 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 many hate-filled memories towards his team to truly be a friend and that is of course travis johannes of building the dam you can find him on twitter at travis likes dogs spelled exactly like you think it would be travis how are you doing man so, all right, right now I'm a little salty. I, you got, you had that great uh, intro with the quack, 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 quack. I, I, it's one thing that sucks about beavers is there's not really a good, like, easy, yeah. like, that's a beaver noise that I could. You don't do keep there. like a mini chainsaw on your desk. No, see, that's like that's see that that upsets people too because people yeah. are like, why, why do beavers need chainsaws? So it's a whole thing. But that yeah, I love it. So it I, is, I need a sound. When but. when Miami created the turnover chain and then everybody else like copied that uh, I, I, I i disliked all of them with one exception which was the beavers turnover chainsaw uh but only for the wordplay that's it the wordplay is great and especially but, because for safety they removed the chain <laughs> yeah yeah that's if somehow they could replace the chain with like a safe but pure gold chain like yeah. that would be amazing or can timber joey play like two roles you know like come down from portland and, and i don't know i think there's there's people trying to get uh and by people i mean probably like two twitter accounts and they just have to <laughs> once i follow but uh that are trying to get uh bernice the beaver to come back they're trying to bring back bernice mm, i get you benny's wife i believe or at least something years ago and then she just disappeared and we, nobody He's a bachelor. Much, oh, much like the platypus trophy, just kind of disappeared. And no one really <laughs> no, knows. we're reviving it now. No, that game is called the the platy now. I I love it. As as much as I'm usually not down, it should be called the platy. Absolutely. Uh, it's usually I'm usually not down for just gendering random things. However, I do usually like when they got the counterpart mascot. And I mean, especially for I'm thinking of U of O here. You got Daisy Duck. I mean, we mm. got to do another handshake deal with. The devil aka disney but i feel like we could get the, i don't know it, it would be fun i think arizona is the only school because they got wilbur and wilma well what about Wildcat. ucla do they oh I, they do like, you're right hmm. i think that those are the only ones uh topping off my head i don't and the tree is just some you know well i think that the tree <laughs> is self-pollinating <laughs> yeah who knows what the which I, there's some commentary about stanford fans anyway <laughs> Anyways, let's not talk about why uh, the Beavers would be a fan of uh, uh, a lumberjack, which seems like yeah. the natural enemy of the Beaver, or at least competition for the at same least competition. Yeah, yeah. Um, let's talk about this goddamn football team, which in 2021, uh, I'm just going to ask you right now, Travis: Is this a step forward for Oregon State? Is it just idling and neutral, or did you actually take a step backwards? 2021, what, how did it look? Oh, last, okay, yeah, 2021, I, it was a step forward, yeah. It was, yeah. Um, 
It's one of those you look back. I think we were talking a little bit about it before we came on. It was one of those years where you look back, you're like, oh, they were so close to really having a breakout season. But also they were real close to having another um, non-breakout season, the other way, whatever you want to call that. <laughs> a breakdown season. I don't know. <laughs> there were a couple of close games in there. So yeah, I think it was I think it was a it was a it was definitely a step forward. Um finally making a bowl game for the first time in Yeah. Since 2013, I've got it written down right right. here. (laughs) That's right. Uh, I don't remember the bowl, but it was against Boise State. You don't remember the bowl? Oh, the 2013 bowl. 2013, yeah, yeah. The Jimmy Kimmel Bowl. I swear, the second I heard that there was a Jimmy Kimmel Bowl coming (laughs) out, that is going to be the one we're in because that's a fucking joke. (laughs) <laughs> oh, the Hawaii Bowl. It was uh, it was 2013. It was the Hawaii Bowl against. That's Hawaii. right. Yeah, I remember that. I remember somebody got in trouble in that game because of public urination. That's the other. Wow. Sorry, that's the only thing that that is important in that game. Uh, I mean, I imagine the Beavers lost because you don't remember it. That's my guess. Is no, that they won that one. All right, there you go. Uh, we that's something we have not done yet <laughs> as a team. We have not beaten Boise State, so there you go. Got got that on us. Jimmy Kimmel, yes, that is certainly <laughs> someone I tune out as the second I see him on my screen. It was Break yeah, the TV. broadcast was kind of embarrassing because like Utah State <laughs> went on this drive where they executed like three trick plays successfully while Jimmy Kimmel was in the booth and he was like losing his mind about it. Yeah, it was it wasn't fun. Yeah, I mean, we all remember that uh, playoff, college football playoff commercial with Jimmy Kimmel singing us into the new year. <laughs> oh, God. Maybe I'll play that right now. Listeners, if, if you're hearing that right now, that means I was on top of my shit. If you're not, that means I was very lazy. But you didn't cut it out, which means extremely lazy. Yeah, super. Yeah, because you're hearing this. So, yeah. Um, let's get into this actual season. So, 7-6 is the record. 5-4. and four. In conference, that's, hey, there you go. Started off at Purdue. This game was pretty damn close, actually. It, it was a loss, twenty-one to thirty. But Oregon was Oregon State was battling in this bad boy, and it was on the road. Um, actually, the Beavers had a twenty-three to twenty-one lead in the fourth with three minutes left, around three minutes left. Uh, but they weren't able to to pull it off. BJ Baylor had two touchdowns. Um, Omar Spates had 12 tackles, and you're just going to hear that a lot this season because that dude was just on fire. The, everything was funneled towards him, it appears, because he got a lot of tackles, him and his buddy. Uh, and then the game against Hawaii. Someone you can't – I'll never forget watching Hawaii, uh, Oregon State at Hawaii on, on Facebook, Facebook. <laughs> at midnight. And everyone's fighting everyone. Everyone's fighting their own teammates. Got some missed field goals left and right, if I remember. It's that quite game, the game. <laughs> that game I, inspired one of the, my favorite highlight or headlines I'd ever written at Building It. Because I was I was the one that um, on tab for doing the game recap, you know, the instant right after the game recap. Mm-hmm. And this game's ending at like 1 a.m. or something freaking stupid. And, <laughs> and it was just one of the dumbest games that I've ever watched. I disagree. I loved it, but continue. <laughs> it, was, it was dumb in so many ways. It was, no, I could like, it was, it was entertaining, but just some well, of the stuff. I think Oregon state was leading at halftime and then it, like, yeah, and then it just, it, they turned into a pumpkin at midnight. Everything. But yeah, I think it was uh Oregon state plays, plays dumb, plays dumb game, loses in dumb ways or something like that. And I, got <laughs> and I think, you know, Someone, one of the comments was like, this, th- this writer was either drunk or very tired. <laughs> <And> <laughs> a bit. 
Yeah, he's like, drunk on Pac-12 Pac after dark. Gets yeah. us all. Yeah. Yeah, that game was nuts. I loved it. But this game was very different. And I, I do believe, yeah, Todd, Todd Graham was the coach at this point, And uh, they're mutinying against him, uh, as they should, because he was a pretty terrible dude. <laughs> Anyways, uh, you beat Hawaii, though, 45 to 27. Baylor had three touchdowns in 171 yards. Dear Lord. 21-0 lead at the half. And, uh, yeah, Chance Nolan, 302 yards, two touchdowns. So it was just an ass-kicking. And then against a forgotten uh, ancient rival when you're talking about Northwest teams. I'm talking about Idaho. You know, you look at, all, like, 100 years ago, Idaho was a real foe against us. Now, not so much. 42-0. to zero. Wasn't Idaho, like, in the precursor to the pack? Yeah, they were in the PCC. Yeah, that's right. Um, now they're not. Are they, are they an FCS team now? Didn't they yes. knock down? That's right. Good for them. Uh, first possession forced. Uh, uh, so actually, uh, you forced a turnover on the first possession on downs, and then you went 69 yards to get the touchdown. And that's basically uh, how that's it went amazing. over and over. Yeah. <laughs> Tyshawn Lindsay got the 18 yard touchdown pass. Uh, yeah. It was just, I mean, y you should beat Idaho. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That was one of those games you didn't really afterwards. You're like, OK, I didn't really learn anything from this game, but we did what we needed to do. So, OK, there well, you go. it was funny because it was on at the exact same time that Cal was playing Sac State, um, it, where Cal also posted 42 points, but gave up 30 points. And mm. I was like, hmm, well, these these two teams had somewhat different performances. <laughs> That's yeah. Oregon State should wipe the floor with Cal. Therefore, okay, uh, but we'll see. Um, then USC at USC. Here's a big one, baby. And and oh yeah, forty five to twenty seven win in the Coliseum, the first road victory over USC on the road since nineteen sixty. Damn, nineteen sixty. Uh, Beavers scoring on seven of their ten possessions. And it's also the most points ever scored against USC. So, hell yeah. I mean, yeah, this yeah. has got to be a big old nail in that coffin for Clay Helton. So, actually, you kind of screwed us over there. <laughs> yeah, that was a fun one. That was, it's, like I said, it had been, however, I don't even. I'm not 1960. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Whatever, math that up. It had been a real long time since <laughs> since we'd won down there. I mean, the world has changed so much, so much since 1960, and is also rapidly regressing back to it. But uh, I regress. Let's get back to the this next game here, um, versus Washington. Oh boy, this is when I when I take out my secret Beavers jersey. I've got buried under the floorboard. I put on the hat, bring out my chainsaw, and I I just love watching the Beavers beat Washington more than anything. I love it, uh, except for the Ducks. They won 27 to 24 in this most terrible year for the Huskies. Uh, Everett Hayes hits the last second field goal for the win. We'll talk about him a little later, too. This is not his best uh, game winning field goal of the season. No, no, no. Or best field goal, I should say. Uh, top of the Pac 12 standings uh, for this week, anyways. Oregon State sitting up there. Baylor had 111 yards, two touchdowns. It was his first interception, uh, first interception for Avery Roberts, who also recorded 16 tackles. Damn, I love those two good linebackers. And then uh, at Wazoo, 
well, Wazi's going to trip you up. You're going to have a great season. You're going to get confident, and then you got to play Wazi. If I remember correctly, that might have been uh, what's his face's last game, too. You might be right about that. Killing coaches left and right. <laughs> if it wasn't, he only had one more, but that might have been his last game, if I remember. Oh, we've. I mean, we've talked about it before. Like Benny the Beaver is the Grim Reaper. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you, you, yeah. Can you usually, imagine? Usually, how- you have to lose to Oregon State to get fired because for, <laughs> for years that was basically a fireable offense, no matter what. It's just the fact yeah. that you lost Oregon State. No, you Ask win. Mark Elfrich, yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and then it's it's also just uh, can you imagine if Benny the Beaver if if y'all started rolling with this and Benny the Beaver came out with a Grim Reaper <laughs> outfit and it was just like you better win this game if you like your coach. <laughs> I love it. But, uh, you know yeah. the other funny thing is that you know Idaho fired their coach. Uh, Clay Helton was fired. Uh, Jimmy Lake was fired, and Rolovich <laughs> was fired. Which means Oregon State played four straight games against teams with you know, dead man walking coaches like, yeah, Benny Beaver was swinging his side wide during that, during September and October. Did did Idaho, you said Idaho? Yeah. They, they actually don't know what happened, but I know that they're, they have a first year head coach this year. So I'm going to assume his first chance to get the hell out of Idaho. That's just what I'm going to assume. Five straight games. Damn. There you go. And we'll we'll say that Mario Cristobal was fired because of his he didn't beat the Beavers enough. Um, and then we got, yeah, so that Wazoo game, what can I say? You actually had a 10-3 lead at the half, but you were outscored 28 to 14 in the second. I I fucking hate that team so much. <laughs> <laughs> Is that team that like I have some level of like respect because it, it Oregon State and Washington State very kind of similar esque. You know, there's a lot of similarities between the schools. Mm-hmm. We have just owned us lately, and it's gotten frustrating. I get it. We yeah. had a big we had a big uh, stretch of that too, and it sucked. Uh, then we got 42 to 34 win versus Utah. How do you do that? Uh, asking for a friend, how did you beat Utah? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you, you trailed actually 24 to 14 at the half, and then you outscore them 28 to 10 in the second half. Trayvon Bradford gets two touchdowns and has 1500 career yards after this game. Uh, 262 Oregon State rushing yards in this. This is, I mean, this is still kind of a head scratcher to me. This would be a fun game to go back and watch. Can can either of you enlighten me exactly how this happened? I can't. And I, <laughs> I I wondered that multiple times throughout the season as the season went on, and we lost some of our other games and saw Utah just go on a run. How how, how the hell did this happen? It's college football, though. I think that's the only answer is it's college football and weird shit happens and it's a Pac-12. But yeah, that that is my in-depth analysis. Hopefully they might be a little, uh, be able to break it down a little bit better, but. Uh, well, okay. There's three things. Uh, number one is that they, uh, uh, there's a bunch of special teams weirdness in that game that probably win at least 10 points, you know, 10 point swing in Oregon state's favor. Number two is their Utah's rush defense was actually never that great. It's kind of crazy. Um, mm-hmm. like in Oregon state just leaned into it. Um, uh, um, and then the third thing is, uh, uh, Utah didn't really become Utah until the next week. Like their mm. sort of kick-ass run starts, you know, with that game against UCLA. And, you know, at that point they sort of become unstoppable. Um, 
uh uh but like for the first like half of the season or so it was a you know surprisingly shaky team like remember that was the team that was getting you know uh beat by arizona state in the first half of the week before mm. and you know they were sort of like stumbling through the wazoo game and it, you know they lost to san diego state and byu which hadn't happened in a long time you know like the utah didn't become utah until late so that's why well you know the uh old saying utah gets better and better in november as always. <laughs> um, okay, so here we go. Then came at Cali. I say Cali now. Uh, um, this was a 25 to 39 loss, and this is another head scratcher. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I don't know. This this California team was, was up and down all season and having players injured and or just not clear to play. And yeah. uh yeah, this is another weird one. This was the fifth straight double-digit tackling game for Avery Roberts, though. That's pretty impressive. <laughs> There you go. Um, Bradford got 124 yards, six receptions, two touchdowns. That's eh, there's the highlights for Oregon State. And then we got a double overtime against Colorado. Oh hey. God! <laughs> that game we was... talked about this with Jack Barsh. Uh, he was also kind of like, "Oh God!" Even though we, he won this game, but uh, yeah, this is a nuts one. And this is where you get, of course, the 60-yard field goal to send it to overtime, which is a program record for Oregon State. So way to go, Everett Hayes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was just I I had honestly I kind of forgot about that game until like just now as because as you're going, I'm looking, I'm gonna try I pulled up last year's schedule so I can get I'm like, oh sh oh, God. Oh that game. <laughs> that game. We get a lot of that here. <laughs> that game. We don't gotta talk about it anymore. Oh, it's yeah. it was just it was crazy. That was yeah that was one of those weirdest games well that was the game that got um tim tibisar fired <laughs> there you go yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. benny dunn grim rupert his own coach there finally and then against stanford a team that beat oregon and looked pretty terrible most of the other days uh you beat them 35 to 14 um actually uh bj baylor became the ninth beaver over a thousand rushing yards in this game and uh, the one thing that really helped the Beavers here is early on, you got an interception and then you got a field goal or a block. Oh, sorry. You blocked a field goal and that really threw the Cardinal off. They were scoreless in the first half and then Oregon state was able to pull away. And then we got against ASU versus ASU, a 24 to 10 victory uh, undefeated at home. This made you, which is pretty badass. It made you were so excited to go undefeated at the dam that you blew it up is that is that the case that's basically it yeah yeah we said we're never going to top that <laughs> you can't go better than undefeated so well, let's, let's just blow it up. Up. <laughs> get rid of it go on on top man i dig it I get and now it we're going to play games at providence park next season <laughs> hell yeah dude oh man that's great see that is actually a true uh oregon state tradition too Y'all yeah. been playing on Multnomah Field 100 years ago all the time. It used to be if there was a really big game uh, versus, well, I, was, I almost said the Civil War, but that's not absolutely not Civil War. Uh, between these two teams when they would play uh, so they didn't destroy each other's towns because they were sick and tired of that, they would just go up to Portland because it's like, okay, it's a fair thing. And when you played a big team, it would just make sense to play at Multnomah Field. So I, that, that would be great, actually. I would love to. 
Oh man, it's just I the would... one game at Providence Park. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's just one. Oh damn. Yeah, yeah, it's, just, it's, just, it's, Mon- it's Montana State, so it's like the yeah, it. <laughs> yeah. They're they're opening against Boise State and Reeser, so. Oh, I would love it if it was just every single week. You can, you'd, you'd Which, be up there for me. I'm not 100 sure of the logic on it, but of like just like one weird yeah. game, and <laughs> after there's already been other games that start. I I don't know. I don't really understand it, but you know, whatever. It'll be fun. Uh, then we got uh, versus Oregon, a 29 to 38 loss. Nolan actually had a career high 308 yards, 308 yards. And the Beavers did have a lot of success in that second half. You outscored us 26 to 14, but the Ducks just had too much of a lead early on. And uh, we win the platy because that is what is officially called. Uh, then, uh, but you made a bowl game. That is, yeah, that's, that's got to be the biggest deal. That's, that's it. Game. We made we made the bowl game. The, never Don't actually pay attention happened. to what happened in the bowl. Just <laughs> yeah. getting yeah. Just made it. Who cares? It, like it was, honestly, who the hell cares what happened in the Jimmy Kimmel bowl? Uh it was the uh was it the Gary Anderson invite there between the last two <laughs> schools. So, and, so that's right. I forgot uh, that whole deal. Um, but definitely so don't pay attention to the fact that the dude who had never thrown a pass before opens with like an 80 yard touchdown pass. <laughs> no, 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 no. Nope. You made a bowl game. That's yeah. all that matters. You right. win bowling. So there you have it. There's the there's the 2021 Beavers uh, season. Uh, an improvement of that would just feel oh my gosh amazing i would imagine for beavers fan like more than seven wins uh getting to a bowl game and maybe winning it like oh man that'd be amazing and we were even talking beforehand is i feel like a lot of pac-12 fans in the back of their head are being like one of these days these beavers are gonna win the freaking north and only everyone outside of the west coast is gonna be surprised about it because and then they took the divisions away (laughs) And then they took the divisions <laughs> away. <laughs> Good point. Specifically to deny the the beeves that possibly. That's, I, that's probably the reason. Why Although I don't I know, most of the most years the South is so bad that like two North teams is a a, a high possibility. I, I would love to see you know play play for the platy and then play platy part oh two God. the next week. Like, that'd be that great. Would... Mark my words, it's going to happen. Like, I think Jonathan Smith's a good enough coach. Mark my words, it's going to happen in our lifetimes. There'll be the, the platy rematch for the for the Pac-12. Hell yeah. Um, that being said, let's let's dive into this Beaver roster, shall we? All right. <laughs> Sounds like fun. <laughs> I have a uh, what I think is a difficult question for you is my first question. Oh, good. Great. Here we go. You ready? Here we go. Yeah. Is Chance Nolan a good quarterback? He is... I I'll say yes, but um, see, it was a tough question on the low end of good. <laughs> so just barely, just yeah. scraping. He's, there. Yeah, he's not. He's that kind of guy. I don't. I don't think he's going to be winning that many games. But he's got enough skill and talent that it, you can win games with him. I, I if mean, he was a meal when you were eating it. You'd be like, mm, it's good. Uh, all right, okay. I'm full if now. He, if he were a meal, he'd be like gas station sushi, where like one, <laughs> you know, one roll is like, ooh, this was surprisingly tasty, and then the next one you're like, uh oh, 
because like like, <laughs> like pull, pull up his you know pull, pull up his game log and like you see some you know really incredible performances right like against usc he has a passer rating of 221 which is like a that's a bonkers pass rating against utah he has a 200 you know passer rating that's bonkers against stanford you know 188 like you know there's a bunch of you know performance performances above like 140 which is about the average like where he's performing above average and then he has games like against washington where it's like 60 which is like oh my god the, like a pop warner quarterback would get pulled for that you know or you know, washington state you know it's like 81 it's you know real bad colorado's like 112 it's real bad um and, and like i don't know i i recently rewatched the bull game and i was like what sort of like crystallized it for me you tell me if you you think i'm wrong about this travis is that like he's a good fit for this offense you know like you know jonathan spitzer designed an offense for which you know he works well uh, in that like he can, he, he throws a pretty catchable ball, you know, if, you know, he hits his short and intermediate routes. He doesn't make stupid decisions. Um, but, and it's not that he has a, a weak arm or anything like he can definitely get the ball downfield, but like, just deep passes are not part of his inventory because he can't hit them accurately enough. You know, like those, like, you know, send the receiver down the sideline. It's a 50, 50 ball. He needs to drop it into a bread basket, you know, a 60 yards deep. It's just like chance. Nolan's not your guy for that. And that's sort of like, that's, you know, the operating ceiling of the offense. Uh, what do you think about that theory? No, I think that's, that's basically right on. It's these. Yeah. I don't really have any notes on that. And that's a, <laughs> <laughs> You but basically, it. yeah, he can. Yeah, there's he, he can be frustrating at times to watch because there's, like I said, it's it's those games where you're like, oh, this guy, he can be a court, and then the next thing you're like, well, where the fuck did that guy go? Yeah, where's the guy from last week? Well, and like the other thing that I notice about his throws is that like he doesn't have in his inventory that you know when you're throwing from the opposite hash like an out route to the far side of the field, and it's like you know a comeback route or something or a breaking out route where like the cornerback is given a little cushion and, and he has to like come back and crash on the receiver, so the ball has to be like you have to deliver a laser beam, you know, to, to the receiver to beat the cornerback to it, like. Like, guess what? I don't see that pass. You know, it, Oregon State doesn't attempt that pass because I don't think Nolan, you know, has the, has that fastball. I, I guess I, the way that I would put it is that, like, I, I think that he's a below average quarterback, but I think that Jonathan Smith is a is an above average um, playbook designer. And he Smith just wisely took the stuff out that Nolan can't do. And so that makes Nolan look above average um, that that's sort of how I conclude Travis. You, you think I'm wrong about that? Yeah, that's probably, that's about right. I think it is. It is just, he's, he has enough talent. He has enough skill that, and that the coaching staff can make him a good quarterback, you know, or they yeah. can at least make it appear he's a good quarterback. And it's a damn good offense, you know, no pun intended. Like there's, mm -hmm. uh, you know, they rank number 19 in uh, F plus, you know, the advanced statistics um, like, it was, I think, the second or third best um, in, in the Pac-12, um, you know, and considering Oregon State's, you know, talent level, which is like, I think, like number three or number four in the conference or worst in the conference, like, you know, the, the what Oregon State is doing and I'm specifically, you know, I'll single out Jonathan Smith, like is doing with with that you know, level of production. And again, you know, I'm not trying to dump on Nolan. I'm just sort of, it's remarkable because it's like, Nolan's not a Heisman candidate. Like he didn't have like Robert Griffin, the third dumped in his lap and he's just riding him. You know what I mean? Yeah. 
Yeah, and it, it speaks volumes of this coaching staff, what they've been able to do. I mean, even, you know, with Nolan, but even if you look back with Jake Luton, who mm-hmm. had has his limitations too, they, they, I don't know, I think they can, I, I would be really excited. And unfortunately, it hasn't really happened yet. And I'm kind of, that's one of the things that scratched my head with is I would love to see them get a legit, real good quarterback in this system and see what they could actually do with that. Yeah. I am. I, I mean, it's not going to happen this year, obviously. Um, and you know, who knows how, you know, the, the way the recruiting class is going, it doesn't look like it's going to happen in 2023 either, but like it is. Yeah. I wonder why uh, that too. I, I really feel like why not, you know, why not some four stars show up and really light it up anyway, the room that they got uh, uh, chance Nolan obviously has his job. I don't think that's controversial at all. I think I'd be a little worried about the backup situation, though, in case Nolan's unavailable, uh, because Neuer and Vidlack, Neuer, the the guy who transferred in from Colorado, who had that great 2020 season, like he didn't he I think he got the job for like half a game yep. uh, and then he got pulled. Uh, he is transferred. He, he's out of eligibility, I think. Uh, Sam Vidlack, who I actually kind of he played as a true freshman in the spring game in 2021. I kind of was like, Ooh, he caught my attention, but he has transferred out too. do I have yep. that right. Yeah, he's out at Boise State now, I believe. Ooh, you get to see him in the first game. That's interesting. I have no idea where he is on their depth chart, but that would be interesting to see if he came in and was starting. Yeah. So uh, as far as I can tell, it's uh, – well, there's there's a few guys in the room, but it looks like it's a three-man race to the extent that it's a race at all uh, between Nolan and uh, Tristan Jebbia, who was the Nebraska transfer. He had the job in 2020, but, like, he got injured. Um, Nolan, you know, got the job. It looked like Jebbia, re- like, re-injured himself right before the 2021 season. Um, it, what's his status? Is he back to full health, or what's the deal? Um, he, I don't know about full health, but he's at least, it sounds like he's at least going to be able to push for that job. He didn't, you know, he's still, I don't think he'll, he'll be healthy enough. I don't think he'll have enough time to actually really push for it, but I think he's at least going to be able to play this year versus last versus where he was last year. Well, you know, I mean, he, I saw him in the spring game and he didn't, yeah. I mean, he didn't look like super limited or anything but i mean i guess yeah between his health and and, you know the third guy in the room is ben gobranson um who came in in 2020 and we just haven't he hasn't taken a snap in a a beaver's uniform yet Uh, you know i don't think about him um it looked like he had a fair it looked like he had a fairly live arm in in the spring game what do you think you think he's ahead of of jebbia i i could see it i don't i i think it'd be hard just because jebbia is jebbia has the experience jebbia has that um but but yeah, I would not be stunned if if Goldbranson was second on the depth chart this year. At least right now, given given the room, he is sort of the QB of the future for them. At least that's their hope. So, and I know that they've. I think there's got to be there's a lot of belief in him, and I think that may have been I don't know exactly, but that may have been part of the reason Vidlak transferred out. I'm not hmm. sure. That's but theory um because they but also but also with the portal right now i you never really know sure what, what's going on so uh, it's sort of a log jam ahead of him again no pun intended um and then as far as i can tell the rest of the room is just well uh there's travis throckmorton um the true freshman recruit uh but he's not coming until the fall i don't think we saw him in spring 
Um, and then I think the only other guy is uh, Jack Coletto, uh, the jack of all trades, you know, the, the, the wildcat guy, although he threw a couple of, he's thrown a couple of passes in his career. So yeah, like I, I, I you know, I, I'd be, I don't think they have anybody besides, you know, Jebby and Gilbranson who could play um, if, if no one got hurt. And I, and I'd be sort of worried in between Jebby's health and Gilbranson's lack of experience. I'd be thinking that if something happened to chance Nolan, that like a substantial amount of production goes away. That That's sort of the way I see this room lo- looking. What do you think? Yeah, I think you're, you're definitely at that point, you're just kind of fingers crossed and gritting your teeth and hoping, but I definitely would have um, definitely have some concerns at, at that point. If yep. that, I mean, you never know who knows, but I definitely wouldn't count on either of them being able to step in and, and kind of keep things going as well. Uh, all right. Running backs um, losing uh, the great BJ Baylor, who is the Pac 12's leading rusher. He had over 1300 yards last year and a few other guys who are backups to uh, Michael Lafieri, uh, who got a couple carries last year, but he's a walk-on. Uh, Demir Collins and Teron Madison both transferred out. Those guys were like high three stars, and I sort of had some high expectations for him. In fact, I saw Demir Collins in the in the spring game, but those guys have both departed as well. So it's like a lot of talent leaving the room, but like, boy, I really like this running back room regardless um, uh, anyway. For, did I miss anybody who's transferred out? Uh, I don't think so. Okay. Um, so the guys coming back are um, the the number two and number three uh, running backs, um, Deshaun Fenwick and uh, Trey Lowe, um, who were both transfers. Uh, Fenwick came from South Carolina. Trey Lowe came from Washington. Uh, a couple of the returners to uh, Isaiah Newell, Kenoa Shannon, um, a couple walk-ons. Uh, but the uh, the interesting ones are um, the true freshman who is on on campus for spring, Damian Martinez. Uh, he was a high three star. Um, he was actually playing with the ones and looked not bad. Um, and then uh, Jamius Griffin, um, the four star uh, uh, transfer from Georgia Tech. Um, uh, he was behind another great running back. Actually, I think two great running backs at Georgia Tech. Um, one of them transferred to Alabama and, and Griffin transferred to Oregon State. Have I got all that right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think I know. I see uh, there does seem to be a lot of hype around Damian Martinez. Um, so I think right now I wouldn't be surprised if he ends up sort of being that number one guy. But yeah, I think I, I think it's going to be a really interesting camp battle because, you know, honestly, it doesn't seem like Jonathan Smith would want to play a four man rotation. Like I, I looked up his history and he never does it. Um, like he, he, he three is sort of his limit. Um, but you know, I could see any, I, I could see any one of these guys being the primary back. I could see any, uh, one of these guys being part of a three man rotation or a two man rotation as the primary backs. Like I, I think all of them are pretty good ball carriers. Um, you know, Trey low average 6.4 yards per carry last year. Fenwick average 5.7. Um, it's just solid running back room. Like I, you know, I don't think they're going to have any difficulties at all. And like losing, you know, usually you're in a situation where losing the PAC 12's leading rusher, you're like, uh Oh, there could be in, in trouble. And I'm sort of like, no, I, I think they're actually, if anything, the room is going to be even stronger next year for, for more depth. Um, what do you think about that take? Yeah, I, it's, that is one of the positions on this team that I honestly haven't really worried about for years for whatever yeah, no. reason. We're going to say yeah, all between Art play. Pierce and Jamar Jefferson, they're sort of like the, and then, you know, BJ Baylor was like a backup to those guys and he yeah. just, you know, stepped up and took the crown, you know, like they've had yeah, this just, nice uninterrupted lineage of great running backs there for a long yeah. time. So I, 
Yeah, I have no concerns there, honestly. All right, let's talk about the tight ends. Um, this room is interesting to me because I think they're, well, let me, let, let's get the personnel uh, down. Last year, they were playing, first of all, a lot of 12 personnel, meaning one running back, two tight ends, uh, a lot of snaps. Um, and in fact, the uh, what they played, the the second most that they played was not 11 personnel, uh, one tight end, but rather 13 personnel, three tight ends. So the two primary ones were Luke Musgrave and Tegan Cotoriano. Um, and then the uh, the third guy who would come in was uh, Jake Overman, but he was exclusively like a blocker. I don't think they they threw him a single ball. I know he didn't catch any. Uh, do I have all that right? Yeah. Cotoriano is off to the NFL. Um, Musgrave and Overman return. Uh, they also converted one of the tight ends uh, to an offensive lineman, Tommy Spencer. We'll talk about those guys in a minute. Um, I think that's it. Is, is that right? I believe so. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Um, so then my, you know, here's my question is that th this room's got, you know, several dudes in, it. you know, Musgrave obviously has his job. I don't really have any questions about him. He's, you know, he's a great, uh, tight end. He's a uh, part of a football legacy, um, great human being. Yeah, definitely. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I would expect that Overman, you know, if they want a blocking tight end, Overman is right there. I was seeing him in the spring game. He even caught a pass. Um, and then the rest of the room, I I don't know about the rest of the room, man, because like none, none of these guys caught any passes, right? You know, they're, in, in fact, I was seeing... I was seeing three different walk-ons get uh, play during the spring game in a, you know, a Bryce Caulfield, Malik Kelly and Gabe Milborn, you know, and, and those guys were ahead of, or playing uh, more, you know, earlier in the game than uh, the two uh, scholarship guys, JT Byrne and Carter Newman. Um, all five of those human beings that I just mentioned, Caulfield, Kelly, Milborn, uh, uh, Byrne and Newman, all of them are redshirt freshmen and they came in in 2021. So, you know, they would have had, to, if they played it all, it would have had to been as true freshmen. And it looked like Jonathan Smith just didn't want to do that. Um, there's one new guy, Jack Velling, who's a true freshman who comes in in the fall. And sort of, you know, the way that I look at this room, I, I just sort of, I, I don't see a third tight end. Um, I think they're going to go with Musgrave and Overman and I don't know about Overman's hands. And so like sort of, I have this hypothesis that I want to bounce off of you, Travis. I sort of think the structure of the offense is going to change somewhat um, in 2022. I, I think it's going to be less 12 and 13 personnel and more 11 and 12 personnel. And that furthermore, the 12 personnels are, it's going to be Musgrave and Overman and Overman's not going to be catching passes the way that when they had Musgrave and Catoriano out there and both of those guys were receiving threats, like that's sort of a different, you know, look than when it's 12 personnel with Musgrave and Overman. Um, that's my theory. What do you think about it? Yeah, I, it is kind of hard to get a read on that. Um, just with, like you said, you really don't know who else would be that, that second pass catching tight end. And right, right now, yeah, I don't know that they do have that. Um, unless that the Velling, is it Jack Velling comes in and just kind of really impresses right off the bat. I think you're, you are probably right. It's mainly going to be, uh, Musgrave is the only sort of pass catching tight end and then Overman coming in as sort of a blocker. But yeah, I, I think you do kind of see a little bit less of the tight end heavy sets going forward, at least this year. 
I mean, I guess Overman could surprise us. You know, like I said, he did catch a pass uh, in, in the spring game. Um, it just strikes me that like he was on the field a lot last year. Like they, they actually, I, I, it doesn't look at from the stat book because the stat book doesn't record that, but I charted all those games because uh, uh, that's the last game of the year. So I've got like tons of data. Overman was playing him a ton of snaps. You know, there was a lot of 13 personnel and they just never threw him the ball. And uh, and so, like, I, it, you know, you kind of have to infer from that that they don't trust him as a pass catching tight end. But I guess he, he could surprise us. Right. Like he could. Oh, no, I've had great hands all along. Like, you know, I, we're just going to wait and see, you know, I think. Yeah, I think you, you never really know, especially it's, it's college football. Every, it feels like every year there's somebody who pops up that all of a sudden got good over the or, you know, not got good, but has progressed a lot over the off season or whatever. So yeah, I, it, it's definitely a possibility, but right now I, it's sort, sort of like that, uh, sort of like the QB room. I just don't have any faith at this moment beyond the uh, first guy that there's anybody not to say that there isn't, but they got to prove it at this point. Yeah. Um, all right. Let's talk about the wide receivers. Um, so, uh, losing, uh, three of the most productive ones, um, Trayvon Bradford, who was the leading receiver last year, uh, champ Fleming's, uh, hero of the podcast. We love that kid. Um, and Zariah Beeson, um, who was playing an outside receiver. Uh, I think those are the three departures bringing back, uh, the other three, they basically had like six wide receivers who were catching balls. Um, uh, the Trayvon Bradford was the clear number one, uh, Trayshawn Harrison who returns was the clear number two. And then there's like a, a five way tie for number three, you know, where they all have like about 200 yards. Um, uh, uh two of those guys leave Flemings and Beeson. Um, but two of them, you know, come back. Uh, that's Lindsay, uh, Tajon Lindsay and Anthony Gould. Um, and then sort of they return the rest of the team, you know, to Silas Bolden, um, Josiah Irish, although he was really only getting sweeps like he I don't think he was targeting any passes. A couple of the scholarship guys and Jimmy Valson and Trevor Pope who didn't get any catches. And, and then, the you know, the big question mark to me and I actually have a, a, like another like theory about this. The, the question mark to me is Makaya Tung and John Dunmore. Um, those guys were four stars who transferred in from uh, other power five programs. Tongue was from Georgia and Dunmore was from Penn state. And when they showed up, I was like, Oh, this is where they want to go. Like, they, you know, the, these are the new outside receivers. They're taller than everybody else in the room. They're going to get a bunch of catches. And then they combined for two catches last year. What's the story with Tongue and Dunmore? Do you know, Travis? I have no idea. Cause I wondered the same thing. You just mm-hmm. kind of, you sort of expected them to, hop in and contribute a significant amount more than they did, which like you said, was basically zero. Um, so yeah, I don't know if it was just, if it's, uh, getting into the system, you know, I know, uh, yeah, I really don't know. I, I was definitely expecting a little bit more from them both. And I'm curious if it'll be one of those things where after a year of being in the system and like you said, losing some of those guys that were ahead of them, maybe if they're mm-hmm. going to, if this is the year where they start contributing, but I, yeah, I really have no idea. Well, the thing that's interesting is that, you know, when I was watching the spring game, the three guys who they were playing with the number one offense, you know, when, when Chance Nolan was out there was Harrison, Lindsay and Gould. And, you know, I'm sure that Harrison has a job lockdown. Why wouldn't he was the number two receiver last year? The dude is four one. He was a four star. Um, you know, he, he transferred from Florida State. Lindsay transferred from Nebraska. There's like four different four stars from other power five programs in the wide receiver room. It's like, yeah, 
some unkind statement to be made about the beeves there, but whatever. Uh, <laughs> Harrison's, you know, definitely got his job locked down. But here's the thing that's interesting about Lindsay and Gould is that those guys are built like slot receivers, or at least they would be in most offenses. You know, like Lindsay's 5'9", Anthony Gould's 5'8", and, and those numbers, frankly, I think are being a little generous to them. That might be with like their cleats on um, and standing on lollipops. Uh, like, and... And, you know, the, the thing that was curious to me was that like, okay, this is a 12 personnel offense, you know, and like all these guys who are catching passes are short dudes, right? You know, because Champ Flemings was getting a ton of patches last year and that dude's the ultimate short dude. Like, you know, that I, I would have expected, given that outside receivers are playing on every snap, like put in the tall guys, Jonathan, you know, like. Uh, but but instead it looked like you know the primary receiver core like Travis you would have towered over this wide receiver core you know <laughs> I, I'm pretty short myself so but yeah I would have at least kind of fit in you would have fit in with this receiver what I mean that's my I, I am I, this is the thing that I like I said I'm, I'm really curious about how maybe the exit of Tegan Catoriano and not having a replacement for him in the pass catching sense might tilt the offense towards the wide receivers and then the second part of that equation that I'm curious about is that like they've got you know, tall dudes, you know, tall four star transfers from power five programs in the form of tongue and Dunmore, um, who like, you know, in fall camp, if something really clicks for them and they like push, if I were be, I guess I'll put it this way. If I were a Beaver fan, I would be really happy if in fall camp I was reading a bunch of reports about how Tongue and Dunmore are getting reps and Lindsay and Gould are getting, are, you know, it's happening at their expense. Like, are you with me on that one, Travis? Yeah, I I would like to see a little bit more uh, them utilizing that height because you do have some of those bigger dudes. I mean, Makai Tong is 6'2", 224, according to his. Yeah. That's a pretty big dude for a wide yeah, receiver. That's a big dude, you know, like, I mean, I mean that's hell, a big dude just, in general, but it's, yeah. I mean, hell, they could just treat him as a replacement for Katoriano, you know, that's, like. Yeah, I'm kind of curious if that's sort of what's going to happen if he's well we didn't get to see he was being held out in the spring game so i didn't get to see him um but like i did see dunmore but he was playing with like you know he was catching passes from from gilbranson like that you know he was kind of low in the in the order of appearance um I'm sort of like, on the other hand, maybe, you know, we were talking to start out with about Nolan, like not really having the deep downfield accuracy, like maybe that's part of it. You know, maybe it's like, what's the point of having big, tall, you know, outside receivers if like Nolan can't can't get it there. Yeah, right. Like maybe this is just a rational choice to like, we'll put a bunch of like hitch route receivers on the field because this offense is a bunch of hitch routes, you know, Uh, I don't know, man. Like, I, I guess there's 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 a version of this personnel which would look like really leaning into the downfield passing game and i feel like if we don't see it it's going to be it's not because uh jonathan smith is going to be screwing up these decisions because i don't really think that guy screws up decisions like this i think it's going to be because like well either those wide receivers aren't ready to play or no one's not really to get ready to get them the, the ball and we're just going to go with what um works for us which is going to be harrison and Lindsay and gould and it's going to sort of look like the same you know structure as when bradford and flemings and Beeson, you know were around uh that that's that's sort of how i think th- this offense is going to look that they've got a choice to make and i think i know which one jonathan smith is going to make and it's going to be based on like you know th- the readiness to play of you know the certain taller wide receivers and chance nolan's ability to get them down the field what do you think about that theory yeah i that is that is actually i hadn't really thought about that theory much but that that does make 
a lot more sense. They're just, you know, sort of the limitations of the quarterback and these these other receivers that maybe fit that a little bit better. So, yeah, I think you're probably onto something there. You've, you've thought about it a lot more than I have. <laughs> well, I, I mean, I guess I, I studied Jonathan Smith a lot because I think, you know, I do this for the, you know, every Pac-12 team. And like we were raving the other day about Colorado's defensive coordinator, Chris Wilson, because he wants to run a certain type of defense, but he, the personnel that he inherited for Colorado, just like that roster doesn't fit that type of defense. And so it looks like he's going to run a different kind. And I was like, oh my God, this is so rare in the Pac-12 that a coordinator, you know, is capable of, you know, well, we're not going to do my preferred thing because it doesn't fit the roster. And like the other dude who like I trust to make those decisions, like I would like to do this, but I don't have the personnel for it. So instead I'll do this other thing is Jonathan Smith, right? Like, don't you feel like you just sort of trust that guy to not make boneheaded, stubborn decisions like that? Yeah, definitely. He makes some boneheaded decisions, but that's more about game management sometimes, but I'm not getting into that right now. But yeah, as far as the personnel and as far as the, you know, like you said, sort of how he wants to run things, I I do think that is one of the things that has really helped kind of get Oregon State sort of turned around um, from, I mean, definitely turned around from the Gary Anderson area. Still not necessarily where we'd want to be, but it's just that he he can look at the roster and say, okay, this is how, this is the offense. This is, you know, this is what's going to fit best fit this roster instead of trying to, like I said, jam a square peg into a round hole. I mean, he's, he's running a, a top 20 offense with a bottom 20 talent pool. Yeah. You know, like he's, he's he's no dummy you know like you can't be a dummy and pull that off um all right uh, uh speaking of great coaching let's talk about the offensive line um boy i really like uh, jim mahalchik uh i really yeah. feel like he's he's the best uh, the offensive line coach in the pac-12 maybe the best position coach period like what he was able to do with this level of talent um is uh just incredible yeah i it's one of those things every year I kind of look at the O-line just, just from a personnel standpoint and kind of um, think, Oh, Oh no. Oh, this might not be good. But I, year after year, he finds a way to make it work. So I just don't even, it's one of those positions that I've kind of stopped worrying about to a degree is that, you, you know, you're, they're losing a couple, losing two pretty big guys and mm-hmm. um, uh, Nathan Eldridge and yeah. Boonham, right? Yep. And you know, those are, those are two really big losses. Um, Mm -hmm. But I don't really have too many concerns that they're going to be able to fill it because I, I I just, I think Mahalachek is such a good coach. He's going to figure out a way to make it work. And there's there over the past couple of years, it's still not where you'd like it to be, but the O-line recruiting has improved some. I think it's as people, as recruits start to see, Oh, what they can do here you know this is it's they realize they want to come play here or at least come play for mahalich i I don't know if i were if i were a west coast like mid to high three-star offensive lineman uh and i wanted to stay in the footprint i would 100 percent play for oregon state like 
you know, uh, I really feel like his development because like you really see it in the form of development too, because that dude plays upperclassmen, right? Like he's not putting true freshmen, you know, out there. Cause frankly, he's not able to recruit, you know, the, the yeah. true freshmen who are ready to play, but like give that guy, you know, four years with a kid. Um, and yeah, he'll be playing like a five-star, um, you know, uh, uh, yeah so like uh well all right let, let's talk about the, the actual personnel as you mentioned uh eldridge the center and kia Bunham, the right guard um have left um returning uh uh well uh they they returned the the starting left tackle joshua gray um they returned the the starter at left guard jake levengood but he was injured i believe halfway through the season so marco brewer came off the bench and played i think the second half of the season marco brewer also returned so that's like three starters at two positions um bring back the last year's right tackle uh brandon kipper um and then bringing up bring back a a backup that we saw play right tackle uh, a few games um tell you say uh fuaga um I think those five dudes that I just mentioned are the new starting lineup um, because I think what I was seeing in the spring game was Levin good again, last year's starting left guard. He slid over and was playing center uh brewer just became a full-timer at left guard kipper interestingly slid over from right tackle to right guard because i think he figures that if he's going to make the nfl he's built more like what the nfl wants a guard to look like so he would like want some experience of that and then fuag is going to become the full-time right tackle uh you think i got that all right yeah that's that's okay that's kind of what i was I was going to say as well. So, yeah, it looks like. Well, I mean, they tipped their hand in the spring game like that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, all and you then, had to do was watch it and, and you sort of got your answers on the other hand. <laughs> yeah. Unless on the off chance, one of the um, recruits comes in and, and yeah. really makes some noise. But I don't I don't foresee that necessarily. So the let's talk about that in a second the starters are just to put a bow on the you know, what the starting lineup is going to look like. They're basically returning. Well, it's four. Essentially, what it works out to is four out of the four, five dudes um, return, which is good, and they're all pretty experienced. Which in with Mahalchik's system, like the more experienced you are, the better you play. So that's good too. But there are a couple position changes, right? You know, so we haven't really seen Levin good at center. You know, that's sort of a question mark, right? Like there's always the case when you have a new center, like, is he going to have good communication with the quarterback and with the other linemen and, you know, calling out, you know, protections is sort of a question mark there. It's sort of a question mark, whether Kipper, you know, who's spent his whole life as a right tackle, how he's going to work out at guard, you know, wait and see on that one. And then Fuaga is relatively new. He didn't get a lot of experience and he's relatively young too. I think he came in in the 2020 class. Um, and like, you know, only two years with with Jim Mahalchik, that is pretty young, you know, for his system. So like, you know, even though we know who the starters are, I sort of think there are a couple of question marks, you know, there. Uh, what do you think? Yeah, basically that and some of the depth is a little question mark always. But but yeah, as far as the, the position changes, it would be interesting to see. Yeah, Kipper, Kipper moving is the one I'm actually kind of most interested in. It was interesting um, last year. There was some thought that he might leave early um, because I know if I remember correctly, he oh. was honored at senior night because they thought he might be leaving. Because um, I remember seeing that and go, oh, what is he? But then I guess he decided to stay and definitely bring a lot of experience on the line. But it is always interesting when you start moving guys around. 
e- you know, even though they're returning all the, you know, all this returning production, you know, for the offensive line under, like I said, I think the best offensive line coach, you know, in the conference and it's very experienced, there's still enough question marks in the, you know, in the performance last year was just so incredible that like, I'd be worried about a little step back, you know, just because it's not, you know, it's not a 100%, you know, clean transition, you know, there, there's still some questions to be answered. And then, as you said, the depth, this is where, you know, I'd be really worried about guys getting hurt. Um, cause you know, they're already two of the guys that I was sort of counting on as being, uh, backups were being held out because of injury. Um, Jason white and Hanelli Bloomfield. Um, like I said, they converted a tight end um, to left tackle Tommy Spencer, and he was actually getting the, you know, the reps with the twos and the threes in the spring game. And like that guy's too small. He's like 40 pounds underweight for the role. And he's like the best left tackle replacement they've got. That's scary. Um, and then I'm not kidding about this. All five of the dudes that I was seeing um, uh, with one exception, Jacob Frenzy, uh, who was a low three star. The other five dudes that I was seeing in the spring game are all walk ons uh, Tanner Miller, Zach Holmes, Brian Espinosa, Nick Suing, um, Marco Belsteri. You know, er- every one of those guys are walk ons. And then I was seeing an FCS transfer, Campbell McCarg uh, play left guard. And I was seeing a true freshman who, you know, we just finished talking about like uh, Mahalchik doesn't like doing that. Uh, Dylan Lopez, um, you know, playing center, uh, you know, late in the spring game. Um, uh, it, it's sort of like, oh man, I, I'm, I, I'm worried. I, I'd be, I'd be worried about a single injury on this offensive line because I, I sort of feel like these guys are, are totally inexperienced. Um, you know, the recruiting rankings, not great. It's a ton of walk-ons and like, it sort of feels like Mahalchik hasn't had time to work his magic on these guys yet. So like, I, I, I feel like, you know, I, I'm, I'm not hoping for this or anything, knock on wood, it doesn't happen, but like, I'd be really worried as an Oregon state fan that they're like one turned ankle away from a, you know, a, a loss of production here from the offensive line. What do you think? Yeah, I, that's, that's kind of always the concern with, with yeah. this, this team, because they, they just, maybe it's getting a little better, but they, they've never really had much depth at the O-line well, and that's one of those. Well, things. but last year they had two, right? They had Marco Brewer. Who yeah. Was able to- in for Levin Good, and they had Fuaga, who was able to step in for Kipper. And like, I can't identify, you know, who's this year's Brewer and Fuaga. I can't identify him. Can you? Yeah, I, no. <laughs> my my hope is that it would be Dylan Lopez because he, he was a fairly highly recruited. Um, I mean, he had, he had offers from a lot of other Pac-12 schools. Mm-hmm. So you kind of hope that maybe he could. But again, like I said, that's that's a that's a true freshman. And that's maybe, maybe that's the FCS scary. transfer Maharg. Like, yeah. It, yeah you know, or, or Bloomfield was a transfer from Utah state. Um, you yeah. know, there's some experience, but like Bloomfield was injured and we didn't see him at all last year. I, I sort of would have expected to, but well, I, one other thing to note uh, is that you are totally right about the recruiting ticking up. They took in, you know, four guys, one of them's Lopez who like, man, you might be right. That guy might be the primary backup as a, as a true freshman. Uh, the other three guys, Luca Vincic, uh, Nathan Elu, Jacob Strand, they're, they're all better recruits than the rest of this, you know, room, right? Like Vincic is a, uh, Lopez is a 0.86. Vincic is a 0.86. Elu is a 0.84. Strand is a 0.83. And I mean, the rest of this room, are 0.82s, 0.81s, 0.80s, uh, five walk-ons, um, you know, like, yeah, that, you know, that's a significant uptick in recruiting. And it's just like the way that Mahalchik, you know, plays it is like, well, that's really great news for 2025, you know? Yeah. 
Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, just just sort of like the immediate concern is is you know, I I feel like they're going to have pretty much the same production as they did last year if they stay healthy. But like, you know, when has that ever happened? You know, I I mean, I guess we'll find out. You know, it, it'll it, we'll we'll be surprised. And it, hopefully, it'll be a pleasant one. Like, if, if somebody gets hurt because like you know like like i said and and you passed on like i don't i i can't see who the replacement is yeah i can't at this point either honestly um yeah because i was just i pulled up the chart too and i was just looking and there's there's some you hope maybe but there's none that make me go oh yeah that guy could definitely step in that guy could definitely step in no there's a lot of like um maybe this guy could step in well, cor- correct me if I'm wrong, but the 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 seven guys who we already mentioned, uh, Gray, Levengood, Brewer, Eldridge, Kibunum, Kipper, Fuaga, those seven guys were the only ones who played last year. I don't think we saw a single snap for any of the rest of the room, did we? Uh, not that I'm aware of. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, and then they also lost, you know, the, the other guy that we talked about. We, we didn't talk about departures at all uh, or the other backup departures. They lost Corbin Sorensen, who was the Portland State transfer. Um, they also lost uh, Brock Wellsfree and Cooper Darling, um, who, uh, you know, might have you know been able to play, too. So, like, you know, they've got some backup uh, departures as well. And like and Sorensen, he was like the longtime starting right guard for Portland State. So like, that's another one where it's sort of like, well, maybe, but I think he ran out of eligibility. Um, yeah, it's, you know, I, I hope there aren't any injuries here, but I really feel like it, it could be a you know, potential trouble spot, which like, you know, for, uh, for, for all the praises that, that I want to sing for Jim Mahalchuk, like he just, he needs time to work his magic because he's not getting blue chips, you know, like um, these guys need like time and experience and those things are sort of in short supply in the backups for Oregon State this year. So we'll have to, you know, be hopeful that they're all healthy. That, that's just kind of always a concern when you're sort of a, as much as I hate to say it, lower, lower level sort of, uh, team is just that that depth you don't have that we've you got you we've got you recorded saying that now or mm-hmm. be ready for that to be a drop well, that we play <laughs> you know it's interesting it, it, it's really interesting because uh uh how much um how much rotation you give in the offensive line because one thing that i noticed a um uh in a lot of different positions on Oregon State, I see what I believe to be a deliberate attempt to rotate in multiple guys to be, you know, departure and injury proof. And it's one of the things that I've always, one of the many things that I've always appreciated about Jonathan Smith is I, you know, I can see it at defensive line and linebacker and wide receiver and a couple other positions where it's like the same right running back, um, defensive backs. Like I see a deliberate attempt to make them so, to, to like give experience to guys and not just play the starters, you know, all the way through because i i definitely see that with other teams where they're like surprised by someone leaving and they're like oh no and the other thing that i've noticed other pac-12 teams doing oregon is one of them but i also noticed it from ucla and um, a couple other teams is on the offensive line sort of getting away from the conventional wisdom of you play your starters unless you're forced to pull them you know where they're sort of were deliberately making drive by drive you know replacements um and i'm sort of like hey jonathan you know uh, why don't you try that out with the offensive line? So you're, you know, you're not in this situation. Like they were sort of, you know, one of the reasons I think Brewer was ready to play was that he had played earlier, but that was because of an injury, you know, it wasn't, you yeah. know, th- that it wasn't an elective choice. And I sort of feel like, Hey, you should take this logic. You know, other teams are doing this now. The ice has been broken. Like take this logic of like play your backups during meaningful minutes to get them some experience. Um, I think it applies to the offensive line too. Um, 
and, and, but it's just, it's sort of been the one exception um, on Jonathan Smith's team where he doesn't do it. Uh, and like, I don't know, I really hate to see them bit in the butt um, for that reason. Yeah, but I, I part of me also wonders if it's because they recognize there's not really a whole lot of options yeah. to play and you don't, you don't want to play someone who's going to fall on their face just to get yeah. them experience and have, well, you know, so there is that, that. Uh, yeah. Right. I mean, so much of Oregon state's production. Yeah. So much of Oregon state's production was a hundred percent because of their offensive line and they couldn't afford, you know, to have a fall off. I mean, they barely made it to a bowl game and that's like, you know, been the, the goal for like seven years or more, longer. Wow. You know? like, when, you it, it, when you say it like that, it hurts. I know. <laughs> but like you could definitely see that it's like no the stakes are too high you know we, you know for for this position you know we'll have to cross that bridge when we come to it because we can't afford to give the backups any experience now we need every one of the starters playing to get us to a bowl game like I, I could definitely see that being the logic and sort of going back to what i was saying earlier like i i trust jonathan smith to make those those decisions and so the fact that he made that decision about the offensive line sort of in my opinion gives us a clue about the readiness to play the backups which is uh oh <laughs> uh, <laughs> all right let's switch over and talk about the defense um so uh, as we mentioned in the rundown uh, uh they fired tim tibisar um uh and they promoted um trent bray who was the linebackers coach or the inside linebackers um to be uh the 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 defensive coordinator for the last four games uh they won uh two of them against stanford and arizona state although in my opinion i kind of don't think that was because the defense changed or anything it was just because those teams sort of packed it in um and then you know the they they got beat by oregon state and they got beat or excuse me by oregon and they got beat by utah state um here is my opinion. Um, I shared it with you last year, right before uh, the platy, um, and and, and uh, you told me I was full shit. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I wanted to know if you've moved at all because I haven't. My opinion is that Trent Bray is running exactly the same offense as Tim Tibisar. You know, every uh, the personnel choices, the structure, the blitz choices, all of it looked. You know, I charted all those games. They look identical. Um, I, I sort of feel like Tim Tibisar was just a scapegoat for you know a larger problem on oregon state's defense which is that you know the talent's not great and they didn't have a nose tackle and like you can't run a 3-4 defense without a nose tackle and that wasn't tim tibisar's fault i mean it's sort of his but whatever i'm here to defend tim tibisar or to tear down trent bray i think that the my the short version of my opinion is i don't think tibisar versus bray matters i think having talent and in particular having a nose tackle is what matters um for this defense and and so i'm expecting the question of is Oregon State going to have a terrible defense or not to turn on uh, talent and personnel questions not you know is Trent Bray the savior of the Beavers defense what do you think about that theory Travis yeah um I don't like saying I was wrong but after (laughs) but after (laughs) after last year's claddy I guess we're gonna call it um it's I, no, you've sorry. It's it's already that's been it's done. Patented. So it's, yeah, it's gone after, after that and the the bowl game, I did start to have some more. Yeah, some more questions about Bray. I was kind of hoping, um, the search would go on a little bit longer, and they would see if they mm-hmm. could find someone with a little more experience, someone who's a little more proven. But I I think there's as, as much as it sounds weird, I think there's something to the fact that. Trent Bray seemed to be well-liked amongst the players. There were some interesting tweets when Tibisar got fired that, I don't know, it made it seem that maybe he wasn't 
Oh, you mean there were player tweets that yeah. were like, oh, were, now defense is fun again. Yeah, something yeah, – not exactly that, but yeah, something that kind of alluded that, okay, oh, mm. this is going to be better. So as much as uh, – I, I think you're right. I don't think the the structure of the defense or anything like that is going to have a, a massive difference. I do wonder if there is something to, to that and to some of the um, – you know, you hear about coaches – quote unquote, losing the room mm. type thing. But yeah, I think you're probably on track with structurally, it's not going to change much. And the defense isn't going to get a whole lot better until you figure out how to actually have a defensive line that is capable of playing a 3-4 when you're trying to play a 3-4. So I, I do expect improvement. Yeah, I, I mean, like, they can both be true too. Like it, it can both be true that Tibisar had lost the room and needed to go because you can never get it back. Like these are 19 year old kids. Yeah. Uh, and that Bray's not going to make any real, you know, substantial changes. Um, and, and that really it just, you know, it comes down to, you know, whether they have the personnel or not. Um, you know, here's the thing that's interesting. I, like I said, I, I sort of thought that it came down to lacking the nose tackle because it was really like astonishing because they lost both uh, uh, Whitley and Bennett uh, last year, who's like both of those uh, Jordan Whitley and Evan Bennett, both of yeah. whom I had like tabbed to be the nose tackle. And it, it looked like other guys who might have been uh, able to be nose tackle just weren't ready to play yet. Um, so like guys who were big enough to do that, I would I, I would say um, Tavis Shippen um cody anderson they switched over an offensive lineman thomas sayo yeah. um those guys i think were sort of big enough to play nose tackle but it's like they just weren't playing last year and i sort of infer from that that they um that they weren't ready but maybe they're ready this year and it, it may be just through the process of time that um that that oregon state gets back to being able to play the three four defense that they were supposed to be playing under tibisar and everything's you know sort of back to nominal again what do you what do you think about that theory what do you think about uh, sio anderson and shipping his nose tackles maybe <laughs> i'm hopeful but again it's one another one of those another one of those positions where it's just kind of like uh, i haven't seen it yet you yeah. don't Sayo, he played a decent amount last year, and he's... I mean, he's big. Yeah, he's, I, I mean, there's that. He's, he's like 365, which is honestly maybe like huge. 20 to 30 pounds over. You know, that, that, there's some bad weight there. Yeah. Um, but like, I mean... I, they, I mean, it was just very... It looked very clear to me that like they they were sort of forced to go from a, a three, four to two, four, five, which like Adam will recall, I've had to say that about a lot of teams yeah. that we've talked to. Right. Oh, yeah. um, you just, you know, Cal Stanford, uh, there's a bunch of them where like, if you are a, a three down structure who loses your nose, like you just can't stop the run um, and, or you have to bring the linebackers down to help. And like, I think they have some decent options at the other positions, right? Like Keontae Shad last year, uh, the transfer from Minnesota, I thought was really good although he is now run out of eligibility he's uh departed uh james rawls and simon sandberg are coming back i think those guys are fine um i think uh, isaiah hodge or excuse me isaiah was the the wide receiver brother isaac hodgins um i think is a uh, pretty good and very experienced but he was out with an injury last year he yeah. should be back right 
Yep. There, there's a few. Let me, let me finish up the the departures because they lost a couple other guys. Alexander Skelton, who was another guy who's maybe like big enough to play nose, he's transferred out. Um, they also uh, have lost Kelson Hennessy and Jeremy Reichner. I know we've talked about Reichner in the past, but I don't think he really ever played. Um, that's it for the departures, though. It's Shad, Skelton, Hennessy, and Reichner. Uh, yeah. Okay. Nothing. Yeah. A- and. And in a sense, they are getting Hodgins. They're getting Hodgins back from injury. They're getting Anderson, Shippen, and Sia will probably be more playable. So you can sort of like count that as like four additions. Um, let's see. They got an FCS transfer, Joe's Golden, who uh, actually got a ton of tackles. Uh, I think he he like a couple of days ago he announced that he was joining. Uh, the yeah. League. I mean, he's big. He's you know he's two hundred and eighty pounds. Um, he had 42 tackles last year, which is a lot um, for a defensive lineman. Actually, probably indicates he's coming from a different kind of system. Um, but like, you know, I, I think actually this line, even though they're losing Shad, who I liked a lot, um, and Skelton, who was an option at nose tackle, I like this line situation better than last year. You know, between, you know, uh, um, you know, getting Hodgins back from injury, uh, Rawls and Sandberg getting older. Um, you know, Anderson, Shippen, and Sayo uh, looking like they're ready, you know, w- might be ready to play, you know, the transfer in of Golden. Oh, I didn't even mention uh, Sione Lolahea, who was actually kind of curious because I, in the, uh, like, he's listed as a defensive lineman, but in the bowl game, I saw him playing outside linebacker some, like, we'll, we'll talk about the outside linebackers in a second, but like, I feel like this defensive line room is healthier than it has been in the past. And I would sort of expect Oregon State's defense to be better from that alone. And then Bray will get all the credit and they'll be like grumpy old me saying, it's not Bray, it's not Bray, but whatever, you know, what, what do you think? I, what do you think about that? I know that like, I know that Shad is a big loss, but I feel like this defensive line room is in better shape than it was last year. What do you think? Yeah, there's definitely seems to be a lot more experience and a lot more guys that you can kind of count on. I, I, I don't know that there's going to be any of those game changers in there, unfortunately, but I do think that it's it's a much more solid group than it has been in a couple of years. Well, I mean, I mean, Oregon State's got to get off the mat defensively. I mean, like, you know, I feel like you would uh, think you would think eventually. Well, it's, you know, it's, it's like a palindrome, man. Like the, the offense was 19th in, in, in offensive uh, F plus and the defense was 91st, you know, in defensive, you know, F and P plus or F plus, excuse me. Um, you know, like, and uh, it's the reason why Oregon state was losing games. I think, you know, it was the reason why Tibisar got fired and, you know, uh, John Smith does not seem like a guy who's quick on the trigger on those sorts of things. I mean, he came in with Tibisar. He made basically no staff changes, like the one you know significant staff change that he made. Um, and I really just feel like it came down to like they they drew a short straw at defensive line, couldn't run the defensive structure that they wanted to, but maybe they will be able to, you know, next year. And I could see him taking a you know a jump. You know, is it going to be the best defense in the world? No, but like up from ninety one, I could see it happening. Um, you know, simply because I think the defensive line is in better shape. What do you think? I think the 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 phrase with the Oregon State defense the past several years is like it 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 can only go up, right? It can only <laughs> get better. So and and it and it has very slowly, but yeah, it's I, I am less worried about the defensive line than I have been the past couple of years, but it still is a still is a pretty big question mark. 
Right. I mean, it's basically we're banking on a bunch of things which haven't come to pass yet, right? Yeah. We haven't seen, you know, the Sio Anderson and Shippen. We haven't verified that Hodgins is is back to full health because I think he was being held out in the spring game. And I think Sio was too, right? Yeah. Um, we haven't seen Golden yet, like, you know, you know, hey, 42 tackles for a defensive lineman, but, you know, came in after the spring. You know, all of these are, you know, yeah, it's question marks. And so you're right. You know, anytime it's question mark, it could be the the answer to that question could be the unhappy one. Um, and, <laughs> and so therefore, you know, no improvement at all. And if my theory is correct, that really this whole defensive problem just comes down to the defensive line kind of, you know, not having the personnel that they need, then like that could continue. But, but on the other hand, there's a lot of reasons to think that, you know, it could be better and therefore the defense would be better. So I don't know. I'd be optimistic about it. Yeah. I'm hopeful. Let's talk about the outside linebackers. Um, so uh, losing the most productive one, Andre uh, Hughes-Murray, also losing Addison Gums, the guy we, we talk about every year and who never plays. Uh, he's finally run out. He, he's he uh, retired or whatever. And yeah, because he was still getting like they were still like not that long ago, like, oh, happy birthday to linebacker. And I'm like, he does he he's real. Is he, he on the team? Yeah. yeah and then yeah. and then not that, like, I think he's I think he got into coaching it's like the high school hmm. or something i don't know maybe i, I might have that wrong but i yeah. think they made him in charge of the platypus trophy and so he's in the secret chamber wherever he's, that is in. yeah that was a that was an interesting the addison gums experience was uh interesting there's there's been a couple of those over the years. Well, we'll wish him well. Um, yeah, yeah. So no. This is sort of a situation that reminds me of the defensive line room in the sense that, yeah, they, they lose, you know, really productive guy in Hughes Murray, but they're bringing back the other guy, you know, who's playing almost every snap on the other side, uh, Riley Sharp. Um, uh, again, this is a position where I thought that, that Smith smartly rotated through dudes to get him some experience. So like so, uh, Corey Stover, Samisi Saluni, you know, Ryan Frankie, Kitty Bro uh, uh, Brownholtz, you know, all those guys were getting reps last year, not a ton, but like they were getting some real game experience. Like I said, uh, Lolo Hea, the defensive lineman, you know, looked like he was cross training at outside linebacker, so he could step in, you know, if there's a problem. And on top of that, they're uh, sort of getting two new guys after a, a fashion. So John McCartan um, was injured last year. Uh, he had to like sit out the whole year. Um, I think they're pretty excited about him. He was playing with the number one defense. Um, and uh, and then Andrew Chatfield, uh, who's a four star, he transferred from Florida, but like two weeks into the season. So he had to like sit out the entire season he's coming in too for, you know, for the, for the outside linebackers. So I don't know, maybe he's going to be another Addison gums and you never see him, but <laughs> like, let's cross our fingers, you know? So between like sharp and, and uh, you know, four semi-experienced backups and then two quasi new guys in the form of McCartan and Chatfield um, who both look like they're fairly athletically gifted. Like I was sort of like, yeah, they lost Hughes Murray and the potential of gums, but like, I think this outside linebacker group actually looks at least as good and maybe even a little more reliable than last year's. What do you think about that take? Yeah, it is. It is sort of that, like, like you said, it's sort of similar to that defensive line position. It's just there's there there might not be necessarily any game breakers there, but there's a bunch of dudes where you're like, okay, this guy could put. You know, there's there's a lot of players there, and you hope maybe maybe one or two of them can really pop off and have a great year. But even if not, you you have enough players that have experience and have shown them they can play at this level that it's at least a, a position you're not that worried about. And I didn't. Here's the other thing about the outside linebackers, unlike what I was saying about the defensive line. I don't think issues with the outside linebackers are reasons why Oregon State had defensive problems last yeah. year. 
like i think this unit did just fine um and they'll be you know basically just fine next year maybe even a little better although you know like i said there is a question mark for replacing hughes murray and you know it could be that the rest in none of these other guys are ready to 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 fill his shoes but like i have a hard time believing that with all the different options that they have you know i think this you know this unit wasn't the problem last year i don't think it's going to be the problem you know next year and and uh has been fairly well managed is sort of how i I feel about it and and that's it you know what do you think it hasn't really been a problem for Oregon State the past few years linebackers been one of their strengths mm. one of the only strengths really of the defense well it is interesting because Tibisar was the defensive coordinator and outside linebackers coach where Bray only had inside linebackers and so now that Bray has been promoted not only did he promote to DC but he got the OLBs as well. So I guess we'll have to see whether or not he can coach the OLBs as well as Tibisar coach the OLBs. Um, well, and you always, I'm always curious about how that actually breaks down as far as day to day coaching, especially when it's a coordinator, you know, how much are they actually? Well, you often w- wonder, it's like, okay, is the, is the position that the coordinator coaches, is that, does that mean that that's the fulcrum to his system? You know, when he wants to coach that unit because like he's, he's putting everything through him. And like, I, I wouldn't have a hard time believing that about Tibisar. And I wouldn't have a hard time believing that about Bray, like taking pride in the inside linebackers um, for Bray would make a lot of sense. Let's talk about these guys. Cause you know, Omar Spates and Avery Roberts, you know, did, didn't cry. You know, I think that Avery Roberts was the leading tackler in the pac 12. Um, if not like, you know, real high, yeah. uh, Roberts, uh, has run out of eligibility. I believe he's with the NFL now, um, declared early. He saw it a year, yeah. but, uh, undrafted, which was somewhat surprising to me. Yeah. But I think he signed a, a free agent. Yeah, he did. That. Yeah. Um, Omar Hawks, Space I think, right. Am I crazy? Uh, I think that's I right. So. I was on my radar for that reason. Uh, returning Omar Spates, I assume he has his job. And then this is another position, you know, that I, like I was mentioning earlier, where like I feel like Smith has done a good job rotating through, you know, backups because it looks like Kyrie Fisher Morris is totally, you know, he's ready to step right in. They've got another back. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, sorry. And and he, that that's where those tweets that I was talking about with Tim Sar came from was mainly Kyrie Fisher. And then once, mm-hmm. uh, once, cause he rarely played with tips are. And then mm-hmm. once, once Bray started coaching, you saw Fisher on the field a lot. So I'm not sure what that was. So, yeah. um, that, that, that but, was just unrelated really, but just, yeah. I mean, if he's excited to play, it's, you know, good. that's good. Uh, inside linebackers need to be ex- the excitable type. Uh, they got to, you know, run at a million miles an hour. Another human being is trying to get past them. Um, other backups include uh, Eston uh, Mascarenas Arnold, uh, who got some reps last year. The always popular Jack Coletto uh, is, you know, longtime uh, linebacker yeah. backup. Um, um, uh, uh, let's see. A couple of the guys in the room, John Miller and, and Michael Earhart, uh, we saw a little bit last year. Um a couple of true freshmen uh, coming in in the fall, Melvin Jordan and Cord Shaw. I think that's the room. Um, did I miss anybody? Uh, I think that's it. That's actually all that are at least on my radar. I think it's pretty good depth. You know, I think that Spates is pretty reliable. I think, you know, uh, Fisher, Mascarenas Arnold, uh, Coletto Miller, you know, have a degree of experience. You know, it's hard for me to imagine they run out of bodies. You know, Bray obviously prioritizes the inside linebacker since he coaches that position. Like, I think this unit's going to be fine. Um, 
you know, I, it's not the most athletically gifted, you know, position in the world. You know, sometimes they see, you know, probably the number one thing that I noted in terms of defensive vulnerabilities for Oregon State is that, like, they frequently put their linebackers in man coverage and then, like, they're just not fast enough to cover, like, some of the speedier dudes in the Pac-12. But, like, you, you ain't going to change, you know, uh, unless they suddenly start getting four stars in the position, it's hard to imagine that change. You know, like, I think they're doing the best, uh, you know, they're getting the most out of these dudes and, and they've got some pretty experienced and reliable dudes. So, like, I don't think this is going to be, you know, a, a real big problem. Uh, what, what do you think? Again, it's for that linebacker position. I, I, one of those I don't really worry about. Um, I, Omar Spates is absolutely a stud. Yeah. And I think there's enough talent in the other guys around there that they can fill that that position that is not, it's not going to be a concern for Oregon State. You think Spates is going to go year early too? I would imagine so. I, this would probably be his last year then. So that, like, that would be my guess. I mean, you never know, but I, if I did, if I did bet on it right now, I would say this is the last time we're going to, or this last season we're seeing him. Well, I've noticed a pattern with Smith is like when he thinks he's got a guy who's going to go early, he starts, you know, kind of paradoxically, he starts putting them on the bench a little bit more to let the backups get some more experience. You know, if he feels like Spates, this is his last year with Spates, he's going to want to train up, you know, Mascaren as Arnold and maybe, you know, some of these other guys a little bit more um, than you otherwise would have expected, you know. Um, I'll, I'll put that down as a little side bet, you know, mm -hmm. that, uh, uh, that we see more of like, like John Miller, for example, you know, the mid three star, uh, I bet we see a little more of it this year. See it. Yeah. All right. Let's talk about the defensive backs. This like the defensive line is the, uh, unit where I think really the de defense had its biggest problems. Um, and they're sort of returning everybody, but I don't know how much, um, that gets them. Uh, cause I just don't really think much about this defensive back group. All. what do you think about my take there, Travis? You got some players, but as a, in general, no, I don't think it's a very strong group right now. And it's, it's definitely a, definitely a concern. Jaden Grant is back, which is, he was injured. That's sort of like yeah. the one. Oh no, 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 no. No, it was Julian who was injured. Yes. Yeah, Al Alton yes. Julian, the the defensive back, the the safety, he got injured halfway through the season. Jaden Grant, what was he? He was held out for the spring game, but that was just some minor. I think that was just precaution, yeah. just kind of that they know what they're. I think a lot of times with with those guys, you know, they they know we don't need to see him in the spring game. We know yeah, what sure. he's bringing to the field. If he's got a little bit of an injury, we're not going to yeah, push yeah. him out there. Um, no, that makes sense. So. Uh, there's okay three departures from this group uh you know two of them transferred out uh, jojo forrest and arnaz madison madison was funny because he was playing in the spring game and then transferred immediately after so i think we know where he landed on the depth chart um the one that was uh, neither of those guys really played last year you know not a big deal um the one that was funny to me was uh elijah jones um he uh uh he <laughs> this was so weird he came in from kansas uh where he was Kansas's starting cornerback. Um, and I was like, oh, this guy might be a starter. Then wound up playing like like two snaps, like all of last year. And then still wound up in the NFL. Like, I don't understand this dude's career trajectory at all. Like, if I could not play and then get paid millions of dollars, like, I would like that, that to happen to me. Like, you know, maybe uh, he'll <laughs> end up in Congress. Oh, that's right. I went political. <laughs> Boom. Okay. Uh, Elijah Jones does sort of sound like a congressperson's name. Oh, yeah, absolutely. 
Yeah, that's it was one of those I, when when he came in. I thought, oh, I thought, okay, there we have a uh, this is gonna be a starting corner, and you just never really saw it. I mean, he looks like a starting like he's built yeah. like an NFL corner, and he's like six two. You know, he's and, he's got some decent speed to him, and so like I could totally see like the NFL does this a lot of times where they just take a guy based on his frame, and they don't, like don't care about his college production or or bad technique or whatever. It's like we can train all that out of him. We can get you on a real training table, you know. But I can't teach your bones to be right. Um, um, yeah, it's one of the many reasons why why I, I'm like skeptical of uh, of fan bases who are like, look at all the dudes that we put in the NFL, and I'm like, um, so the cornerbacks um, returning, you know, basically everybody here, uh, Rajon Wright, um, a younger brother, I think, of Nation Wright, who's now in the NFL. Is that right? Yes. I, I then, couldn't. And then I had a hard time knowing whether their brothers or cousins, but Alton Julian's their cousin. Ah, that's right. So um, it, it, it's I, yeah, I'm pretty sure that's it. Because I remember I, I, I had a hard time keeping track. Of it. We'll go with relatives. We know that. Yeah, they're, they're related in some way. Um, I think that Rajon Wright is genuinely talented guy. He just can't stop committing penalties. Like, yeah, that's gonna, like that's a problem. <laughs> I mean, it was crazy. Like on one in one drive of the bowl game, he committed four penalties. And like the third one wasn't flagged and they got the, you know, you know, when they get the, like the, the rules expert who comes in his little talking bubble yeah, on the mm-hmm. bottom of the screen. And usually they're fairly circumspect about it. It's like, hmm, yeah, I think they would have maybe want to take a review of that. He's just like, no, nah, that was definitely a foul. What the hell are they doing? I'm not <laughs> flag on that. Like, that's crazy. You know, <laughs> it, was, it was just like, yeah, that, I, I don't know. I, I don't know what to think about. Right. Cause like that, that is the sort of thing that a dude can clear up. Right. You know like you know if you're you you can't be faster you can't be taller but you can quit committing penalties and if he does that he could be i mean i'm not kidding about this he could be one of the best cornerbacks in the pac 12 but he's costing his team like 15 yards you know every other drive like it's you know you know what i mean yeah he's frustrating it's it was frustrating to watch because because like you said you see that talent there you okay he makes plays then all of a sudden you're like what the what are you doing there? Like, yeah. okay, now you just give up a free 15 yards. And then the other guys return. Alex Austin um, was getting most of the, you know, the other reps on the other side of the field. Um, Ron Harge um, got a substantial number of uh, backup minutes. Um, uh, we saw a little bit of Skylar Thomas. Um, there's like a couple of the guys in the room. I think, well, Skylar Thomas was a walk-on. He was playing ahead of the scholarship guy, Jaden Robinson, which I think is a referendum on Skylar Thomas and Jaden Robinson. I don't know. There there are bodies here, but I don't, other than Wright, um, and we've talked about him, like, uh, like they have enough depth here, but I just don't like any of these players. <laughs> Sorry <laughs> to say. Um, I mean, I'm sure they're wonderful human beings personally. I, I just mean that like, I, I don't have any faith in this cornerback room. Um, and I don't have any faith that it's going to change uh, in, in 2022. Do you think I'm off base, Travis? I want to say yes. I want to say yeah. yes, but I can't. Uh, super. Uh, <laughs> let's talk about the safeties. Uh, yeah, we we mentioned this a little bit because it, it got a little confusing with these injuries. But um, Alton Julian, who I do like, that dude tackles hard. Like that dude, you know, he's not the biggest in the world, but he tackles like he's six inches taller. Mm. Um, and, and so like I, I do, you know, I think it's good that they're getting him back. He appears to be. Uh, I know he was held out in the spring game, but like all the reports seem to be that he's going to be ready to go, right? Yeah, it sounds like it. Um, the guy who's backing him up was Achille Arnold. He's also coming back. Um, he 
basically played the second half of the season. They bring back, and then here's the interesting, you know, one to me, uh, which again, I think is sort of telling that the, the Jadon Grant and Kitan uh, Oladapo um, were both walk-ons, right? But they were like, you know, the leading tacklers in the unit. Those guys are starters. They probably have their jobs locked down, but it makes me think, uh, the rest of this room stinks because um, walk-ons are beating them. What, what do you think about that take? Yeah, I, well, I think Grant, especially, has kind of outplayed his walk-on status. Has just he's he's one of those who's progressed so much that yeah, it, it's just it's Oladapo's fine, but like you said, yeah. that's a it is sort of an indictment on the rest of the room that no one can get past fine. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it's interesting because, you know, other than, like I said, Julian and Arnold who were, you know, they were, they were splitting time because of that injury issue and nice to have Arnold, you know, who is a guy who's, you know, able to play, um, a, a, you know, as a backup. So, you know, there's some depth there, but you know, the, there's only, I believe two other, you know, scholarship guys, you know, who are rated out of high school in the room, Jonathan Riley and Winston Russell who I don't believe we saw at all last year uh, for either one of those guys. And they weren't true freshmen either. They'd been around for a while. In fact, Riley was a Juco, you know, yep. he, he's been around for a long time. Um, and then there's like in the spring game, you know, I know that we've mentioned a couple of guys were being held out, Grant and Julian and, and Wright. Um, but like I was seeing like four walk-ons, you know, Kane and Massey and Tyson Thomas and, uh, and, and I think one more, um, you know, and it sort of felt like they were reaching, you know, they were like, we don't, you know, we don't really have anybody here. It kind of makes me think, you know, that some of these new guys that they took, like um, they've got two tr true freshmen coming in the fall, Sam Mason and Carlos Mack, I think could seriously be in competition for backup time. Um, and then the, the intriguing one is Ryan Cooper, um, the Juco who came in. Um, he was uh, he was available for the spring game and I think was playing the nickelback in the number one, the number one defense. Now that's with, like I said, uh, Grant and Julian being held out. So like, who knows how that shakes out. But I think, you know, given the lack of depth or looking like playable depth in the rest of the room, uh, I feel like Cooper has a real shot to be either primary backup or just straight out straight up beat somebody to get a starting job. And I feel like the freshmen are probably in the mix in the fall. What, what do you think about that take Travis? I hope so, honestly, because I think there uh, needs to be, I mean, it just not, and that's not necessarily a, I just hope they're good enough that they can come in and push it because we, we need it. Yeah. It's, I mean, I really feel like this is the position. I mean, I know injuries sort of played a role, but like, I really feel like, you know, you could pass on Oregon state, you know, pretty easily yeah and that's you know you know how the hell is that tibisar's fault you know what i mean like and how the hell is bray supposed to fix it you know like i just feel like the defensive backs you know that that they've got are just not you know just the, the speed and the, the the raw athleticism and talent just isn't there for them to be able to stop the pass if they're left alone um if the pass rush doesn't get home and like and, and I, I don't feel like that's going to change much in 2022, you know, the fact that they're sort of returning, you know, so it's like, yeah, you know, they're returning basically a hundred percent of their production, but I like it, that doesn't really make me feel great. Um, or it wouldn't, if I were an Oregon state fan, um, and I would really be, you know, be crossing my fingers that some of these, some of the new guys, you know, come in and change that equation. Um, that totally makes sense to me. One thing I'm kind of curious about, uh, the defensive backs in general is with, uh, the new coaching staff or the new the new coach that more or less took took uh, Tibisar's position as far as you know, you can only have so many coaches. Oh right, they they yeah they, they broke it up to where Blue Adams was 
the secondary coach, but now it sounds like he's mostly going to be safeties. And then they brought in Anthony Perkins as, a, as right. the cornerbacks coach. So not at, not the dude who stabbed Janet Lee in the shower in Psycho. Not that Anthony Perkins. <laughs> no, that's a nice I mean, I, reference. I mean, that would be a remarkable accomplishment because I think he's been dead for 30 years. But like, <laughs> And so has our defensive backs. Oh, Ooh. man. This is why we have you on, Travis, for just amazing one-liners like that. Knocking it out the freaking park. I mean, that's what Oregon State does, right? You're all over baseball school. And we pray <laughs> you stay a baseball school. But, Travis... This is the last part of it all. We've taken enough of your time. Let's look. Well, let's talk about what you think the win record's going to be for 2022. It's our favorite part. We, we've put the spotlight on you. You're either going to look like a genius or a complete idiot here. So it's, it's the pressure couldn't be higher. Now, uh, the like you said, the non-con here, we got, uh, or, or no, the, not, you didn't say this, but an old foe here, we got your... Boise State is coming back, yeah. looking for some revenge for that 2013 Bowl <laughs> loss, I guess. Um, when, when these, when when a lot of these kids were eight, or yeah. Whatever. Oh yeah, that rubbed them real. Well, this is all they have, man. I mean, come on, it's it's Idaho, baby. Uh, but yeah, so they're coming over to Corvallis, and you're taking on the Broncos, hoping to beat them again. Something the Ducks have never done. Uh, in football, and then at Fresno State a week after that. Wait, wait, is that is that? Are you we've never beat? Are you? We've never beaten them. Yeah, we've we've played are them you three. We've yeah, zero and three, and then immediately Cristobal was like, you know what? Well, I mean, I like to say it's Cristobal. It's probably a whole bunch of people, but Cristobal's like, you know what? We're scheduling you for three games in the near future to even it up. Well, and he immediately stole their defensive coordinator. Yeah. Andy Avalos was the guy who beat him in the 2017 game. And he's like, okay, you're, you cooked for me. Yeah. Now. And like, then they took him back. Yeah, so it all worked out. Um, so at Fresno State a week after that, uh, they got a new coach. So who knows? Then we got Montana State and Portland. And now I'm kind of pissed that there's not more Portland games. I Like, for real, can you imagine the platy at PK Park? Like, I know you're giving up home field advantage for one of us, but... I would love it, and I think that'd be an event that people would really like. It's a throwback to a hundred-year-old kind of thing that's been happening. I don't know. I would love that more than I, Montana I just State. Love the fact that you, I love the fact that you just called it, uh, or you you, you want to do it at PK Park? Is that what you said? Oh, is that what I said? Yeah, let's play it at the baseball field. Who, who cares? Yes. <laughs> Why not? Truly old school. Uh, yeah, let's let's play on that lot in front of the library in, in Eugene. Um, but. Um, <laughs> you miss um arizona you don't want to miss arizona that's a good yeah, play that's... but you also miss ucla which who knows yeah. i don't know um but then we got road pac-12 games at utah at stanford at washington that's gonna be guaranteed win for the beavers at arizona <laughs> state so w what do you think I, I... I, I hope our I hope uh some Washington I hope some Washington people are listening to this just for that right there. Oh, they they don't like us. <laughs> I yeah. can tell you that much. <laughs> Sorry, Gaby. Well, our numbers do go up. I I think let's see. We did have a pretty big uptick, I do believe, in 2017 
when we got our just absolute asses handed to us. We did have a boost up on the week after, so I think we had a bunch of Husky fans that loved that episode. That, that, that <laughs> one of the Schadenfreude. Oh, yeah. 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 yeah, I'm going to listen to these fuckers yeah, cry. That's actually an all-timer for us, I think, listener-wise. So. I I, I do like about Oregon State's schedule that the three like surprise losses, um, Washington State, Colorado, and Cal, uh, all of those are going to be in Racer Stadium. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, reverse. So like, <laughs> so like revenge at Racer Stadium. I like that they get USC at Racer Stadium in Game Four, like mm. spoiling Lincoln Riley's debut. <sighs> like if the Beavs do another Jaquiz Rogers all over Lincoln Riley in Racer Stadium, would just be Mwah! yeah like did you just say they jaquiz all over him? Yeah, I, <laughs> I mean that's he was the one who the, destroyed them yeah, in 2008 like i just love that it is yeah. his name like i don't <laughs> what's your objection nothing I, nothing i guess i want never <laughs> um i was trying to figure out how far i take this honestly uh, well, well we'll if if y'all beat usc then that's gonna we'll just ride that into the grave don't worry about that but how yeah, many wins you getting buddy Oh, are we are we counting? Okay, in the regular seven. That's good. Yeah, I get to seven too. Seven. I think it's it's hard to imagine beating Utah again. Like they're going to be revenge minded, yeah. and that game is at Utah. Mm-hmm. But you know what? Every other game on their and like I'm sorry, you're not going to get a duck fan to say you're going to beat the Ducks. But like every other game on the schedule is winnable. Like it really is. Like. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, ten yeah, there's like I'm not like just because you have a winnable game doesn't mean that you win it. But like there's there's 10 winnable games. And if Jonathan Smith is the coach, I think he is that like that's five games right there. And then, you know, he he just needs to, to be a better coach in two more games to get to seven. I don't have a hard time believing that, you know, weirdly enough, one of the ones that kind of surprisingly gets me worried the most is that fresno state game at fresno state that just mm, that, yeah that has that weird feeling we'll see because they're pretty good last year now they yeah. lost their coach but they got tedford back so, yeah right mm-hmm. if, if, luckily i mean dang if if washington wouldn't have like kind of destroyed them a little you know like dismantled them a little bit by taking the coach that team would be like rearing to go it feels like yeah but yeah. no uh, but like I, I could definitely see them finishing five and one or four and two at home. And le- then it's just like, it's a rock skip and a jump to another bowl game. You know, like mm-hmm. I actually have a hard time seeing Oregon state missing a bowl this season. Um, I think the offense will be basically as good as, as it was last year. And it was a top 20 offense last year. And I think the defense, you know, because of the defensive line, you know, fingers crossed issues that we discussed, like, I think the defense, I mean, Jesus, you know, (laughs) don't make me say it, but the defense can't get worse, you know, (laughs) like, and there's a good reason to believe that it'll get a little better. Like, yeah. Cause, cause Trent Bray is better than Tim Tibisar. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Well, I think you're all going uh, 11 and one and then uh, we're playing for it all. That's what I think is happening. 11 and one. Travis, dear Lord. And And then, and then that would be, is this your, this year they're doing the the one and two Pac twelve cha- football championship game, right? That is correct. Yeah. Okay, so we go eleven and two or eleven and one, and then well, go twelve and one after we beat you in the in the. 
You no. called it. We're taking that as your official stance for what's going to happen next. There week. we go. <laughs> I mean, it's not the craziest because no. it's just like for all your sweating about, you know, Fresno State, like that doesn't count. You know, it's just the, the nine yeah. conference games. And like, you know, they they've got a, you know, I, I feel like, you know, except for the last one, all the games in Racer Stadium were winnable. Uh, wow. And- except for that. Not, e- not even giving <laughs> us winnable. I- no, what are you kidding? Oh, no <laughs> <way>. <laughs> You've never you beaten us real, in the dude? history of this, uh, yeah, rivalry. I'm yeah, sure. right. No, man, like, I, <laughs> dude, like, well, I guess I'll put it this way. Like, because they didn't just straight up get rid of divisions and everybody just plays everybody at like a free-for-all or like you draw names out of a hat. Like, they still have the same, you know, divisional setup you know, for the for the schedule. And so that means that, like, if you think that Utah, USC, and UCLA are all going to be good this year and Arizona State still has, like, rump talent, you know, left on their team, um, that, like, they could all beat each other up, you know, pretty bad. You know, it's entirely possible that like, you know, 2022 is a year where the South wishes the division still existed um, and that it winds up being two teams in the North and like who the hell else is in the North, right? You know, like Stanford was three and nine last year, you know, Washington was four and eight, uh, you know, Cal, Wazoo, maybe. I mean, it's just like, I yeah man like and it's not the craziest yeah. thing in the world to suggest and we got a new coach with the new qb uh i mean mm. who the hell knows what's gonna happen yeah now now i'm talking it 12 and 0 12 and 0 <laughs> dear okay we've taken up enough like, of your time i like that we we've gone from me going seven wins to you giving us 12 that's that's that, that escalated quickly it's so that it's so the platy has greater savor oh absolutely yeah. absolutely uh do we do it all for the platy the greatest trophy yeah. in all of college football uh at travis likes dogs is where you're gonna find our friend on twitter um building the dam also go check out that website it's a great website uh and leave a comment it'll be the first leave one. A comment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah absolutely say uh quack 12 podcast sent me here <laughs> let's see if anybody does that and i'll love it uh it won't be hard to find <laughs> <laughs> travis johannes uh blowing up the dam is your uh book i imagine you'll release one day in the future yeah yeah it's it's a it's it's my memoir i do future plugs now too travis it's so nice talking to you every year uh we'll see what kind of crazy shit happens in the pac-12 this year it's always fun it's always i I always go into the pac-12 year thinking you know what's gonna happen and then in about three weeks in you're like well I don't know shit. There was a lot so. of pain in that. It's always fun that you just said. I know. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. uh, day uh, of Addicted to Quack, please go there. Check out the duck dives. You won't get a better, uh, more thorough examination of the Pac-12 than there. Uh, at Addicted to Quack on Twitter as well. At day the number one, H-Y-T-H-L-O-D-A-Y, number one. And you know what? I'm going to do something I always forget to do, like a good podcast host. I'm going to plug this podcast. That's right. At Quack 12 podcast on Twitter, Quack 12 podcast. We got a website. We got a Patreon. If you'd like to help us out doing these things. And um, I don't know. Uh, I just saw a good local movie in Eugene, locally filmed completely in Eugene and Springfield. It's called Maxi 
It's a little bit of a heavy movie, but it's available on streaming right now. You'll be helping a local filmmaker out. I, I thought it was a really good endeavor, so check that out. Uh, that being said... What role do you play in it, Adam? Oh, uh, well, this is me gearing up for the for the lead role in the in the sequel, maybe. That's what I'm trying to do. Or producer, maybe. I, I feel like I got a good shady producer thing going on already here, so that'd be cool. <laughs> uh, yes, quack, quack, quack. Uh, it's all for the platy. We'll see y'all next week. Go Ducks. Go, 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 go be- Beavers. Ugh. Say it. Say it. Beavers. Say it. Go Beavers. Damn it. Uh, it's terrible.